open your Bibles this evening, if you would, to the book of Colossians, chapter 4. If you find Colossians, chapter 4, right now we're in between series on Sunday nights, and normally I would be preaching in a series, and I really like to do that better than anything that we do. I like to preach in a series because I never have to wonder what the next sermon's going to be about. You have to follow the text, and I think it's a good thing for us to... uh, speak the Word of God in such a way, exegete Scripture. I think that's the very best way that we can teach Scripture. But I'm going to fill in with a few things before we start the next series. Most likely, I'll be preaching from the book of Joshua. Not quite sure where I'm going to want to start that. So on Sunday nights, we'll look at some other things and hopefully some things that will be for your edification. But I'd like for us to look at this passage in Colossians tonight. And we're going to think about uh, the word ministry. Whose job is it to do ministry? What is ministry? I want to speak about that tonight. And in these text verses that we're going to read from Colossians, uh, Paul has something to say about ministry. So let's see what we can learn. Let's stand, if you would, please, for the reading of God's Word. We're looking at Ephesians, or excuse me, Colossians. I'm on Wednesday night here. Colossians chapter 4, verse number 16. And when this epistle... And the word epistle there simply means just a long, formal letter. And when this epistle is read amongst you, cause that it be read also in the church of the Laodiceans, and that ye likewise read the epistle from Laodicea. And say to Archippus, Take heed to the ministry which thou hast received in the Lord, that thou fulfill it. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for those who come out tonight to to worship you. We pray, Lord, you'd bless our hearts with, with the message this evening. Help us to be clear and concise and say exactly what you'd, you'd have me to say. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. We notice in the 17th verse that Paul writes here to this and says about this particular man that he's to take heed to the ministry. We don't know exactly who Archippus was. Lots of different ideas about it. Some people think that he was a co-pastor of the church at Colossae. When Epaphras was uh, put into prison in Rome, some people think that he became the pastor at Colossae. There are others who think that maybe he was a deacon in the church. And still others think that, well, possibly he could have been the pastor of the Laodicean church. And, of course, they get that idea by what we read here where Paul says that they are to read the epistle that went to the Laodiceans as well. So we really don't know who this particular man, uh, Archippus, was. And so what we're reading here could, could actually be a statement that's just some simple words of encouragement as he works in the ministry. Or perhaps Paul has some intended rebuke here because he wasn't handling ministerial duties well. But whoever he was and whatever the problem... Paul said that it was his job to do ministry. Now, when you think of ministry, what's the first thing that comes to your mind? For most people, it's the word minister. I mean, when you think about ministry, you think of a minister. And maybe sometimes we don't really understand what ministry is all about. But we do know this. Ministers are supposed to do ministry. And when we think about the term ministry and minister, we we always got in our minds, well, ministry, that must be what the pastor does. It's the pastor's job to do ministry. Well, let's look at this word for just a minute. The word ministry actually means service. You might want to write that down in your listening sheet tonight. The word means service, and it's exactly the same root word from which we get the word deacon. And what it implies is nothing more and nothing less that we perform some kind of of act of service 
for someone else. Now, when we apply this to the church, of course, we're talking about uh, any type of work that we do in the church where we enhance or we build up the Lord's ministry. So when we help other people, uh, when we do things for the Lord, we're actually doing ministry. Now, some of you are, of course, aware that in some countries they have a term uh, for their leader. They may call him a prime minister. And countries where they have a prime minister, they act like kings, but the word actually means chief servant. That's what a minister is. He's actually a servant of other people. Now, if you think about that definition of ministry for just a moment, then you'll begin to realize that many of the things that we do in the church are just common, ordinary, everyday things that take place in the church. This is some form of ministry that we're performing. But somehow, the idea of who's to do ministry has been twisted. And the perception of what ministry is all about is is confusing to some people. So I want to talk about that first of all this evening. And that's the wrong perceptions of ministry. And one of the most serious perceptions of misperceptions, I should say, of, of ministry has been fostered by a system that wants to divide the church into two different classes of people. As the Roman Catholic Church was developing, they had a huge interest in class divisions in in the church. And the reason that they like to have those things because they put the power of ministry into a, a particular group of people's hands and they separate the people out from that. And by that, they're able to keep control of people. So I would say that's probably the number one misconception about ministry is that there are two classes of people and that's the pastor and the people. There's a division here. And some would use different words to describe that. Sometimes you hear it described as the clergy and the laity. Sometimes it's the ordained and the unordained. But however you label that, some people really do believe that there is this invisible line in our churches, in Christianity, between pastors and the people or between ministers and the people. So we've got the idea that the person who's supposed to do ministry is a religious professional. He's the one who's entrusted with this this particular thing. And all the other people are just the ordinary church members. They're the people that sit out there in the pew. And they come to church on Sunday or Sunday night. And they sit out there and they watch what we do up here on the stage. And we're considered the ministers. And they have nothing to do with ministry. So we we place the church work. This misconception places the church work in, in a select group of people's hands. And there are some, uh, some churches and traditions that foster that type of division. That's why you find in some churches that uh, the preacher or the priest or whatever they might want to call him, he dresses differently. Maybe he wears a robe, maybe he wears a, a collar around his neck, and that sets him off from the rest of the people. And so they try to make a, a distinction between the pastor and the people. And you'll notice that people who supposedly have been called to ministry, and they're the pastors and the preachers, that they've got this religious speak that they have that's different from the rest of the people. And you'll notice sometimes if you listen to preachers that they like to drag out some of their words. Like when they're preaching, they've got to be august and they've got to say, God. That's how they say that. And brethren, you need to listen to the word of God. It's just like going to seminary and getting ordained has given them a holy speech impediment. But that's not, that's not what, I mean, those kinds of things, those try to separate Try to separate the pastors from the people. But you know something? We ought not to put all of the blame on, on, on the preachers for doing that because there are people who really like that division as well. They like to have their holy man. 
I mean, their, their preacher who has some kind of otherworldly aura around him. And so that when he, he can just say something, he can speak some words of hocus pocus. I mean, he can really make people feel good by the way that he speaks. And he's the person who does the ministry. He takes all of our problems away. And people like that. And sometimes when we have that perception of the pastor or, or the leaders of the church, then we expect more of him than we're actually willing to give ourselves. And we think that, well, he's the holy man. He's supposed to live a cut above everybody else. He's supposed to be different. And so we like that idea of the holy man. But here's one thing that you need to realize. Preachers have as many problems as anybody else. Preachers have spiritual problems themselves. And really, maybe the devil works harder on the preacher than he does anybody else in the church. And so you can't expect the preacher to be somebody different than you are, at least in that respect, because you have a responsibility. Now, uh, the preacher, he's not only got the, the responsibilities of his own family and of his own spirituality, but he also has all the other little cares and things go on in your life that he has to pay attention to. So don't get the idea that we've got to set the pastor apart and the preacher apart as something that we're not supposed to be. Now, Paul referenced uh, the the, the work of the ministers and the difficulties difficulties they have in, in, in the book of Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, when he talked about the thorn in the flesh. And you know, there are some people who think that Paul's thorn in the flesh was those confounded church members. I mean, that was the real thorn in the flesh. But Paul spoke about things there in in, in 2 Corinthians about uh, being shipwrecked and being stoned, about problems, about being in dangerous areas, about being without food, without clothing, having all these kinds of difficulties. And he said, besides having all of those things upon me, he says, I have the daily care of the churches. And then he went on in the 12th chapter to talk about the thorn in the flesh that he had. So, folks, let's don't ever be guilty of this. Don't expect the pastor to be more than you are spiritually because you have every much as much responsibility as the pastor does. So we ought not to make a separation between the pastor and the people. There's not a difference in these ways between the ordinary church member and the person that God's chosen to lead you. Now, one thing is is evident from the Scriptures. There never was a command in the Bible that we were supposed to create a special ruling class in the church. Now, history shows us that soon after the close of the New Testament canon, that that became the idea. A great ministry, a, a hierarchical ministry, and that's what they started to do. And so this set apart this special class of clergymen and separated the pastor from the people. That's not a biblical concept. Now, unfortunately, there are many Baptist churches who've grabbed on to that kind of thinking. And so when you go to their churches, you find out that the pastor, he is the king of the church. And you do what he says, you listen to him, he runs your life, he gives you your direction, and you don't do anything else but listen to him. That's a wrong idea. And Baptist people ought not to be fostering themselves this idea of a difference between the church and the, or the, the ministers and the people. So there's a wrong perception about ministry. Pastors and the people are supposed to be something different. Now that misconception leads to another one, and that is that the pastor gives and the people receive. And on the surface, that doesn't seem like too bad of an idea. I mean, all of us need to receive ministry occasionally. But in our day, the perception has become so predominant in typical Christianity that we think that the people out there, those that are in the pew, we can just lay back We had this laid-back mentality, let everybody else do something for me. 
I told you a story. I don't know if you remember this. This was a long, long time ago. I told you about this story about this African tribe in, 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 uh, uh, of pygmies in Africa. And, and these people eat raw meat. One of the problems that they have is they get a lot of sand in the meat. So after time, the older folks uh, can't chew the meat any longer because the sand starts to grind down their teeth. So they don't have any teeth to chew it. So what they do is they, they have the young people that still have their strong, healthy teeth chew up the meat for them. And then when it gets to the point of swallowing, they take it out of their mouth and put it into the old people's mouths. That's pretty sick, isn't it? Kind of gross to think about that. But you know that Christians have the same kind of idea spiritually? I mean, they have the very same idea. They think that it's the pastor's job to labor over the Word, to chew on the Word all week long, chew it all up, and then please come to church and put it into my mouth. Give it to me, take it from my mouth, and give it to you. And there are some pastors that are content to do that because they don't want you to study the Word anyway. I mean, they don't want you to question some of the harebrained doctrines that they preach, so they're, they're perfectly content for you just to listen to what they have to say. But my point here in this is that the people believe that the pastor is just a cut above everybody else spiritually and that only the pastor is the one who should and do ministry and it's the part of the people just to receive the ministry that the pastor gives. And I'm going to tell you something, that will make a very weak church. You're not going to have Christians that are growing if you have the mentality that the pastor is supposed to do ministry. And here's what you find. You find a lot of regurgitated theology today. The pastor has chewed it all up and the people just sitting there drinking in, taking in everything that he comes along and drops into their mouths. They're just like little birds. They swallow up everything that's told them and they never know anything about the Word of God. You ought not to be that way. You need to study God's Word. It's not the Bible's teaching about ministry that there ought to be a separation between pastors and the people. So let's, let's talk about another thing here. That's the right perspective of ministry. What does the Bible actually say about ministry? Well, you know, there's an interesting verse in Ephesians that all of you know very well, especially, uh, you know, being a Baptist. I mean, we're, we have these verses committed to memory. And that's in Ephesians 2, verses 8 through 10. And Paul writes, therefore, by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, that God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. Now, do you see anything about ministry in those verses? Well, actually, verse number 10 is a ministry verse. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. We're ordained to do good works. Now, the definition of ministry, we spoke a moment ago, it's about service to God, service to people, anything that we do that builds up or enhances the work of the Lord, that is ministry. And what this verse is telling us, if you are a born-again believer in Jesus Christ, you are actually ordained by God. Don't think about the preacher being ordained. This verse says that you have been ordained by God. Now, certainly I do believe this. God has ordained us in at least two ways. He's ordained us before the foundation of the world to be as his chosen people to believe in him. That he has ordained. But as surely as he's ordained that, he has also ordained that we are his ministers to do these good works. So every person has been ordained. Not just ministers. Every person who's a born-again believer is ordained to do ministry. 
So what does that mean? Well, first it means that all are ministerial candidates. When we see these young people, uh, these young men pack up their bags and get ready to head off to college, a Bible college in the fall, we think, well, there he goes. He's, he's going to go into ministry. He's going to work himself to a place where he can get ordained to do ministry. Folks, it's not just those young people who go off to school who are to do ministry. Ministry starts right here in the church. And when you get saved, you got ordained to be a minister. You got ordained to be a worker for Christ. So everybody here, you've been ordained. Now, what's Paul saying? Well, he's saying that every single person who is a Christian, you have been spiritually recreated to do good things for God. So every believer is designed to do God's work. You're designed to be a minister. And so what you do, you build up and you edify the work of the Lord in the church. So every member of Brian Baptist Church, no matter who you are, God has ordained you to be a minister. Now, friends, here's something that we need to get straight, and that is that God hasn't saved us just for the sweet by and by. Oh, that's a wonderful thing that he's done that. I mean, that's a great benefit that we get from salvation, but our, our salvation works right here in the here and now. It's not just for when you get, get to heaven. We're supposed to be in God's service at this very moment. And the Bible says we're to be set apart for God's service. That's our sanctification. And what it means is that we're set apart for God's intended purpose. And so we glorify God by being a blessing in the church. Now, is there a difference between the work of the pastor and what the people do ministerially? Well, we know at least there's this difference, and that is... As members of Brian Baptist Church, we've all agreed together that the pastor doesn't have to go out and get a job. He can work in the church. He can devote himself to full-time ministry. Now, that's a difference to be sure. But, folks, all of us have a ministry to perform faithfully for the Lord. Now, I might have more time to devote to ministry, but everybody should be responsible for some ministry in the church. There's one writer who said... I believe that the greatest heresy is that we have divided the people of God into two groups. First, pastors, teachers, missionaries, and others ordained to fulfill their call in Christian work, while the second group, known as laypersons, are considered to be without a call, without a ministry, largely exempt from the mission of the church, and relegated to a second-class position among the people of God. I find no basis in Scripture for this division, no theological justification for it, and it has resulted in irreparable loss to the kingdom of God. Now, you know, unfortunately, though, in the life of the average church member, people have not gotten beyond the pygmy approach to spirituality. Just give me something. Give it to me. I don't want to do anything for myself. But the Bible says that you have been created in Christ. You've been ordained to do good works for him. Now, you may be thinking, well, if it's my job to do ministry, then why do I need a pastor? Don't think too hard on that one because uh, I I might get dispensable. But but why do we really need a pastor? I mean, if you think like that, you know, I, I might have to go out and get a real job. Why do you need a pastor? You know, we were talking about this on Wednesday night a few weeks ago. Paul gives us an answer for the work of the pastor in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 and 12. He says, And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Now I want to concentrate on, on that first phrase of verse 12. For the perfecting of the saints. That's one of the jobs of the pastor 
to get you prepared for ministry. Now, if you remember, we discussed these verses uh, in Ephesians on, on one Wednesday night. And I told you then that the placement of the commas in that verse are very critical. Some have removed the comma between saints and four in verse number 12. And that's the reading that you find in most of the modern versions. The comma has been removed. But when you remove the comma, in my opinion, you remove the primary meaning of the scripture. And that is that the pastor has a special ministry that he does. But I'll tell you this, that when you remove the comma, you don't necessarily produce an untruth. You just miss the main point of what Paul's trying to say. The pastor has his own special ministry, and that's to help get you prepared for ministry. So the pastor prepares you. Now, the word prepare in Scripture actually has three different shades of meaning. So let's talk about that. The pastor prepares people. And the first preparation that he does is he establishes a foundation. It's my job to explain God's Word to you and show you how you can make what's written in the Word applicable to your life. If there's anything that you need, you need your life solidly grounded in God's Word. And you know why that's true? Because the world is ever-changing. There's nothing constant in the world. But the Word of God is unchangeable. And you need to build your life's principles in something that is unchangeable. The Word's going to be the same day in and day out, every month of the year, every year of the decade, and it will forever always be the same. So the Word of God doesn't change, and you need a foundation in God's Word. The second thing that a pastor does, he mends and restores That's another meaning of the word prepare as it relates in the Bible, mending and restoring. So my job is to point out to you the wrong kinds of attitudes that you have, to point out the inconsistencies that you have in your life. And it's my job to show you that when you sin, you get out of fellowship with the Lord. And when you get out of fellowship with the Lord, you're going to lose your ministry. So that's part of my job, to show you how that you need to live your life. Now, no, no, most people or most churches don't like to to hire a pastor who preaches against sin. They don't like that. I like what one of our ladies said the other day. She said, I joined this church because we have something to live by. We have something that we stick by. And if we don't, we hold people accountable. And I think that's right. I think the church ought to hold its membership accountable. And she said, the reason that I joined the church is so I can have some accountability in my life. You know, one of the things that I've been criticized for from time to time, I've been criticized because I believe that as a church member, that when you sin against God and you have committed a public sin, that it's your responsibility to confess that sin. And I think that you ought to do it publicly. Lots of churches don't do that anymore. Some people think, well, I've got to go tell the pastor about it. Well, you might do that, but I don't have a little booth set up somewhere where you can come in and confess your sins. I don't do that, and I don't think that we ought to do that. But I think when you sin publicly against a church, you ought to confess that sin publicly. I don't think that you have to get up and give the gory details of what you did, but I think it's a fair thing to do. You commit a public sin, you ought to tell your church that you're sorry for it. Repent of that sin. I think that God's Word teaches discipline, and that's good for the church, and it's also good for the individual, so we need to practice it. Third thing the pastor does, he trains the people. My job to show you how to get the job done. I'm to give you all the necessary tools that you need to be effective in the ministry that God has given you. Now, how do I do that? Well, I think the chief way that I do it is to teach doctrine. That's why I teach doctrine in this church. 
That's why we go beyond many times just the simple little things that most Christians know. And we try to get down into God's word and teach the doctrines of God's word. And we do that because what do we say on Wednesday nights to remember? Right practice is dependent upon right principles. It's dependent upon the right doctrine. So we have to teach that. And what I want to do is I want to teach you enough of the Word of God that you can see how it is to be a big part of your life, how the words God, Word of God is practical to you, and how it becomes your standard to live by. That's a pastor's job. So do you need a pastor? I hope that you do. I'm going to go hungry if you don't. So that's what a pastor does. Well, the question is, are you doing ministry? And do you have some ministry that you're involved involved with? Now, sometimes we look at the way that we're doing ministry and we want to pat ourselves on the back and we say, well, we must be doing a good job. I mean, people come to church. uh, We have visitors every week. That's great. I mean, if we could pack the pews out, that must mean that we're doing ministry. That's not how you measure the success of a church. You don't measure how well a church is doing by how many people are sitting out there. You measure the success of a church by how many people are involved in ministry. Now, what we could do, we could pack this building out. I mean, we could pack it to every corner. I don't know how many people this will hold. There's a sign over there of the door. It says something like we can only have 400 and some people in the church. I don't know if it'll even hold that many. But we haven't done God's work and we haven't done the work of a church, if we fill this place up and we haven't converted people out there to be effective servants for the Lord. So that's how you measure the success of a church. How many people are doing ministry? Now, thank the Lord for this, that in the Berean Baptist Church, we have a high percentage of our people that are involved in ministry. The Lord has blessed us with that. So what's our goal at Berean? It's to get people into ministry. Our goal is that when people ask you, what is your ministry, that you can very clearly articulate that this, whatever that might be, this is how I intentionally serve God, and here's what I'm doing for God and the Brian Baptist Church. Now, let's get a little more personal with it. I think we need to know some things. Let me give you here three thoughts about the right perspective of ministry. You need to know this, that you are necessary to the fulfillment of God's plan. Now, one of the questions that we're most often asked about our doctrine is that if you believe that God knows who will be saved, and if you believe that God has chosen people to eternal life, why do you bother to tell people about Christ? They're going to be saved anyway. And they ask the question. Well, actually, that's a a statement that comes under the misconceptions about ministry. Folks, the greatest incentive that any Christian has to serve God is that because we have been ordained to do what God tells us to do. That's, that's, that's enough for me. God says that we need to do it. But the fact of the matter is that God has no other way of reaching a lost world except through you and except through me. He could have devised some other way, but God didn't. He said, you are the ones that are going to give my word. And so Jesus said, you have not chosen me, but I have chosen you that you should go forth and uh, go out and bring forth fruit. So you may try to reason it all out and you say, well, God's all powerful. God's plan is going to happen whether or not I get involved in ministry or not. That's not true. It's simply not true. Now, folks, I, I, for one, I do believe in God's predetermined plans. I believe in God's purpose. I believe that just like the Bible says in Ephesians 1, 4, that God has chosen us before the foundation of the world. I believe in the sovereignty of God. I believe that God, God's plans are, are carried out. 
But I do believe that God's plans are carried out through the means. Does God know who's going to be saved? Of course God knows who's going to be saved. He's an omniscient God. So does that mean when a person gets chosen to salvation that God automatically zaps him with salvation? Well, you know, that doesn't happen. The only way that people are going to get saved is for us to go out and tell them about the message of Jesus Christ. We go out and tell them. God doesn't automatically give people salvation that way. So it's the job of men and women, boys and girls that are saved, to give the gospel to lost people. And I'll tell you this, his means of saving people is just as crucial to the fact that he's chosen them in the first place. God uses means. So that means, Christian men and women, we are essential to God's plans and purposes. And God's plans are carried out by the dedication of his people. All of us have been commanded to give the gospel. So do you see how important you are and how integral you are to God's plans? Don't misunderstand me. I mean, I don't want anybody to all of a sudden begin to exaggerate our self-worth because we aren't worthy to do God's work. I mean, by all rights and, and reason, we shouldn't have our fingers in any part of God's plan, anything that God does. But God allows us to do this. That's part of his plan and purpose. Christ has made you worthy. You're, you're not worthy to do God's work. Only through Christ are you worthy. And when you begin to get this into your mind and you understand that because Christ lives in you, that you're enabled to do God's work, then you'll understand how you figure into God's plans and purposes. So God saved you. And now he says, I want you to be a part of my salvation plan in that I want to save others just like you through the preaching of the gospel of Christ. So, folks, when God gives you that commission, you better pay attention to it. You better heed it. It's the word of God. Now, those who oppose our doctrine, they say, well, you're just wasting your time if you believe that people are elected to salvation. You're just wasting your time. God already knows who's going to be saved. And so you're, you're, you're making a fool out of yourself. Well, folks, I think that we're not wasting our time. What we're doing is using our time wisely because we never go out and say, it's all up to me. If people don't get saved, it's all up to me. I would never say that. I know it's God's work. God does it all. I'm not wasting my time because I know that there are people out there that God says, I have ordained to salvation. I'm going to save some people. Now, the person who goes out without that thought in his mind and he thinks, well, it's all up to me and and it's a crapshoot about whether anybody gets saved. Well, what kind of incentive is that? My incentive is I know there's somebody out there that's going to be saved. God's people are still out there, and if we give them all the gospel, God will save whom he will. Now, it's not uncommon to to find church members and people that try to reason all that out and try to figure out why to do it. Just go back to this. If you don't understand it all, God said to do it, and that's all that you need to know. So what does it show you? Well, it shows you something important. Here's another one. Letter C on your listening sheet. Your life has a deeper purpose. Your life has a deeper purpose. You know, when I start to think about the the purposes of God, I think about that Sunday school teacher who was teaching her little kids, little kids in class, and she was explaining to them how God has a purpose in everything. And so she talked about rocks and trees, and she talked about plants and about insects, and she talked about all these different things. And you know, there's always a kid in the class who's not quite content with what the teacher has to say in those things. So he had a question, but he didn't understand it. He said, well, if God has a purpose for everything, then why did God make poison ivy? That sounds like a question I get in Sunday morning forum class. Why does God make poison ivy? 
Well, the teacher was flustered about that. She didn't know exactly what to say, but there was a student who came to her aid, and she said the reason that God made poison ivy is because he's trying to teach us that there are some things we need to keep our cotton-picking hands off of. (laughs) Folks, salvation is one of those things. God wants you to keep your cotton-picking hands off of salvation. Don't try to meddle in your own salvation. That's up to God. Let him do all the work there. You get into your salvation, you're not going to do anything but mess things up. But it's not too uncommon to find church members who, who ask the same questions that lost people are asking. Christians are asking, is this all there is to life? Making money, making a name for myself, where's the purpose of my life? And what happens is that the purpose of their lives has become so shallow that it's all focused inwardly. The purpose of my life is me, and that's all they get out of it. Folks, let me tell you something. The counterbalance to an unfulfilled life is ministry. Get involved in the ministry. You get involved in ministry and you move beyond your purposes into God's purposes. What could be more fulfilling than to know that you are fulfilling God's purpose for your life? That'll give meaning to your life. God's plan and purpose. Now let me finish up tonight one last thought about the right perspective. You believe in God. He believes in you. Don't misunderstand me again. The reason that God believes in you is because he knows that with his help, you can do anything. God doesn't thrust us out there in the world and say, well, now it's all up to you. You do the work and and it's all up to you to get things done. No, God knows that with his help, when you rely upon him, you can carry out the ministry that God has given you to do. Now, God's beside you all the way. There's nothing that you can't do when God's on your side. So God has chosen you not for who you are, but for what he can do through you. Sometimes we think we can't do ministry because ministry means preaching. Ministry means standing up behind a pulpit and preaching. Ministry means that I need to go to Brazil. I need to go to Africa. I've got to go to India and I'll be a missionary. And that's what ministry is. But folks, ministry is also right here in this church. Ministry is when you take a little child aside and you show some compassion on that little child and you help that little child. Do you know that's ministry? When you come to church and you see the place that we have to meet here and you want to have a part in making this a pleasant experience for people who come to church and so you go out there and you mow the lawns or you pick up paper, you run a vacuum cleaner... You color Easter eggs for an Easter egg hunt. You know what it is? It's ministry. Anything that we do in the work of the Lord that enhances or builds up God's church is ministry. And all of us need to be involved in ministry. I need to ask you something. Are you intentionally doing something for the Lord? Can you point to something that you're doing right now and you can say, this is what I am doing For my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. This is my ministry in the Briam Baptist Church. Every one of you is a ministerial candidate. Don't forget about that. God has ordained you to ministry. And folks, this is the highest calling that you could ever have. Because this is service to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Are you doing your ministry? If God's called you to a ministry, and I know that he has everyone, let's get involved in the ministry of our church. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for uh, the opportunity to preach your word tonight. Lord, I, I pray that you might lay it on the hearts of every member of Briam Baptist Church 
to get involved with the work that we're doing here. Lord, may we never be satisfied uh, with just sitting around and watching other people do things. But Lord, show us what you want us to do. Uh, Help us to have a heart for other people. Just any small thing that it is, we need to understand that this is ministry. This is service. Anytime that we do anything that helps our church and uh, something that would be left undone if we don't do it, then that is ministry. Help your people to see that. Lord, may we not have a division here that, that pastors are to do it, deacons are to do it, Sunday school teachers, but all of us are involved in the work of this church. Lord, we know that you'll bless us for that. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. <laughs>